0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders.
1: Hey, I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. How you doing, babe?
0: I'm doing wonderful. You are? Yeah, we're in our new studio space.
1: We are. Hopefully the acoustics <laughs> in here are a bit better.
0: A.K.A. our new bedroom.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> but we do have lower ceilings in this house, so. Yeah. Our last house, we had really, like, exceptionally high ceilings, it seemed. Yeah,
0: that's why I had that twang to it, that echoey. a little
1: tinny sound yep. sometimes. Yeah. Well, not to mention, I mean, we're not, like, in a professional studio.
0: Well, there's two professionals in this room, though.
1: Well, I'm a professional. <laughs> Bullshitter. Anyway, we uh, are pretty excited. We're in our new place. We've been this entire week, like, moving. You know, it's crazy. We are like, oh, well, we don't have that much stuff. It's oh not going to be so hard. But then once you start packing and moving it, we're like, we have a lot of shit.
0: <laughs> we have a, yeah, I'm so totally should have just bought or rented a U haul backed up the house packed it all one time and drove over here once.
1: That's true. We yeah, even
0: though it it's not that big of a move. You're talking about 35 miles or so. Right. But um
1: but I'm happy that we're close to town.
0: We are up in it. Like
1: I mean, when we say that, but you have to understand so we live in a pretty rural area and where we were living, it was about 30 35 minutes away from like where we are right now. Yeah. But we were kind of out like Pretty close to like the national park, and it took us like what 10 15 minutes basically to get into town. If you wanted to do grocery runs, something yeah. like that. The of course, drive- we had a Dollar General there on every corner, we had those popping up everywhere. But um, for the most part, like we were pretty far out, and if we wanted to actually go out and do something,
0: yeah, we were an it was hour, like an hour out from, like, from Nashville. yeah, and uh, it made even uh, Waynesville look big.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. they're
0: everything closed at like nine thirty ten.
1: So now we're back in Haywood County, which is where I grew up and you've lived here for most of your life.
0: I yes, say. yes, my adult life.
1: But we're close to downtown, which is pretty cool because I'm kind of like a, an addicted to exercise kind of person. I'm a little bit of an exercise nut, so being this close is awesome because now I can go on walks.
0: Yeah, I know, we can just go out and hit some, the sidewalk, son. Ca- huh? You know, a
1: couple miles a day. Kick it. Uh, we're close to the breweries.
0: We are within walking distance of a few different drinking establishments. And
1: because I'm a nerd and I like to go to the library, we're very close to the library, so we're like in a good spot. It's great. Yeah, I do think our house is haunted.
0: Uh yeah, I've already um there's been a couple of doors that open when there's no w- air moving yeah. like very slowly open.
1: Well, I was in the shower the other night and you and your daughter were hanging out just you know, I think you were unpacking, maybe washing dishes in the kitchen or something and you know, she was just hanging out and I was in the bathroom, you know, I'm in the shower and I heard the door open and someone come in there and I felt like someone was in the bathroom with me and I even said like, "Hey, because I thought it was you. And I was like, hey, what's up? Because I thought maybe you needed something. You were going to ask me something. Didn't hear anything. And I opened the shower curtain. there's no one in there. But I totally know there was someone in there. And then your daughter said someone was, like, brushing her shoulder the other day.
0: Yeah, Ayla was uh, half asleep and yeah. said, why did you come in there and touch me on the you know, on the shoulder or whatever? Right. And I was like, I haven't been in there. Yeah. So I think it so is So we may uncle. have a haunted
1: house, but that's okay.
0: It's okay. If you hear this, we're, you're welcome. We're just here to hang out with you.
1: Yeah, we're not really, like, I don't get a bad vibe from this guy.
0: No, it's totally good energy.
1: Yeah, but I do think someone's in here. No, But that's fine. I mean, yep. it's not my first rodeo living in on haunted out. No, and it's <laughs> not
0: uh, the first rodeo for a lot of people out there from some of the stories we get.
1: This morning I had kind of a weird experience. So you are back on your night shift, and so you were kind of sleeping today. And I was unpacking and just trying to get settled into the house a bit more. And these two men were basically out in our yard. And we live kind of off a street. So you have to actually come down the driveway behind another house to get to us. We're pretty private.
0: We're in the cut.
1: And so I see these two guys out in the yard. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, because I don't know who they are. And immediately my mind is like, oh, my God, these two weird dudes are going to come up and kill me. What's going on? And I had the, like, just the screen door you know, clothes There's so nothing the doors to open. stop them. Right. They can so rush I was like, me. Ah! Plus, so I'm in, like, you know, shorts and, like, a T-shirt.
0: So you're scoping weapons near No bra. A like, yeah. you know, this
1: is what I slept at. Like, not exactly like I'm ready to have people come over, right? So I'm like, either these are, like, Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Which is bad just as bad as a serial killer coming forward.
1: Or <laughs> or, you know, hey, this is some weird thing. But they were like census takers.
0: Ah, uh, it's that time of the and
1: I was like, Oh and then I started thinking about what an awkward job that is to just yeah. go from door to door like approaching I want all strangers your personal information. and it information. was just really odd. Yeah. They were like, Hey, is this your mailing address? You get your mail here.
0: Who the fuck are you supposed to be?
1: You know, blah, blah, blah. I'll see I was, some ID? Yeah. Well, the guy did have a badge on, and he was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, we're not selling your personal information. And I'm like, well, I'm not giving you any. But anyway, it was just odd, I guess. So beware, they, there will be those little census taker folks out and about.
0: You should have fucked with him, and be like, do you have a fluid gender, or a gender fluid category? <laughs> and ask things like that. You think so? Yeah, just to fuck with him.
1: We're gonna bring you a great heavy hitter today, but first I wanted to talk about this because I thought it was pretty interesting. On our Mountain Murders Facebook page, I posted the question: Have you ever lived near a serial killer or where a murder has taken place? And we got some great answers.
0: Yeah, I'm totally blown our- away by some of this. This is this touches all across the board. Like um, some of us just like, oh yeah, you know, uh, something happened a few houses down. Then some of these are. Big, huge cases. Well, and this these is pretty in interesting. So, of
1: one of our Facebook fans, he kind of sends us memes and comments on a lot of our posts, Danny Satterfield. He says, When I lived in Charlotte, I was living in Glen Hollow Apartments on Central Avenue. My neighbor lady was killed. Then, shortly after, the lady behind me was killed. The killer was Henry Lewis Wallace, also known as the Taco Bell Strangler. He ended up with 10 confirmed killings of women. Oh
0: my God, I don't even know about that one.
1: I do know about this guy, and I've actually considered possibly covering it on an episode of Mountain yeah. Murders. Even though Charlotte isn't quite the mountains, I think it's still close enough. It's within our reach. Yeah. But, but definitely well, an interesting case.
0: Taco Bell Strangler. How could you not want to talk about that?
1: Another... Facebook follower, Suzanne Scott Mast. She said that her friend lived down the road from Alyssa Baker and Hickory, who killed her disabled stepdaughter, Zara Baker. Oh, remember that okay. story? Oh, okay. Did
0: we talk about Zara, didn't we? Briefly?
1: Maybe briefly. We touched on it. But the... it's a really sad story. A... And also, she lived a couple of houses down from the Durham home, from the Durham family murders that happened in Boone. Wow. Isn't that crazy?
0: That is. Poor little Zara. That was such a sad story.
1: Yeah, there's so many of these really interesting ones. Leah Woody, who is actually a personal friend of mine, page follower, says, not a serial killer, but I lived within walking distance of the Oklahoma bomber Tim McVeigh.
0: Uh, yeah. So I have one here. Matthew Spencer lived where Ted Bunny was born and a couple hours away from Carla Homolka currently lives. Wow. That's pretty big connections there.
1: Donna Layton, one of my favorite tattoo artists, Locally, he says in Florida, I live down the street from the Eileen Warnos Motel.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And one lady here, Donna Belcher, commented she that she dated a murder, a murderer.
0: Okay, So that. We don't crazy. have any
1: more details on that, but I would be very interested in in hearing that story.
0: Uh, yeah, we might have to flesh out that one because that's I'd like to get the Grammy details on that.
1: Well, my own personal, of course, we talked about this on the Peter London case, that my mom lives in the neighborhood near Peter London, like where he murdered his mother. Yeah. And you can actually see the house from my mom's house.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And they've
1: changed now a few, I guess, maybe a decade ago, they changed the street numbers. Did
0: you nail it down which one yes. it was?
1: Yes. So they changed the street numbers a few years ago, I guess, due to yes. like the fire... Yeah. yeah. Whatever they do when they. We
0: thought it was one, but it wasn't right. the right one. So house. they
1: come in and they have renumbered the streets, but we figured out the house. Okay. okay. And it has been empty for quite a while. Really? On and off. Yeah, which is kind of strange.
0: Oh, I wonder if we could buy it.
1: <laughs> I probably. You got some house buying money?
0: Well, I can get some. <laughs>
1: Sign up for Patreon, folks. Help us buy a house, a murder house. Well, I wanted to share a story with you guys, and I know that we're kind of getting a little long-winded here, but hey, we've got a lot to talk about, and we like you guys, and hopefully you enjoy some of our chit-chat before we get started. I lived, speaking of like living near murderers and all that, my story is I lived in the Washington, D.C. area when the sniper shootings were happening back in the early 2000s.
0: That's pretty wild. As a
1: matter of fact, I lived in Montgomery County. Which is where many of those murders took place.
0: So you saw the entire region freaking out. Oh, like people insane. zig running zigzag patterns across parking lots and shit to get. Yeah, to I had gas. only
1: lived in the DC area for maybe like six weeks before this started. So I was pretty new to the area and still learning my way around. And I lived in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is in Montgomery County. And my house was only about three blocks from a metro station, so I could walk to the metro and take the metro into the city for my job. But it was so scary at that time, I didn't even want to ride the metro or walk the three blocks to the metro from my house.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. That was Everyone was
1: looking for white box trucks. Yeah. And at the time, I was working at a theater in the public relations department of a theater, but I also was working at a florist. Kind of part time to okay. make ends meet because I was definitely like the starving artist, like living in a house with like five roommates. Yeah, it was crazy. So they were looking for the white box truck forever. They thought the sniper was driving around. and And so working for this forest, we had like a fleet of like 30 white box trucks. Oh, God. Yeah. Our drivers were getting harassed, pulled over, stalked. People were calling. They would see our driver in the neighborhood. They would be calling, reporting our driver suspicious. Right. We were getting calls constantly to the, you know, the 4 shop about the white box trucks and the drivers. I mean, it was just nuts.
0: And that son of a bitch was in an old-ass car. Yeah. I mean, what, the way he was, that was... Uh, a in-
1: caprice, right? A blue Caprice.
0: It was very messed up and sad for all the victims, of course, but that was ingenious from the perspective of what he was doing.
1: Well, it just didn't fit any of the profiles. No,
0: and they'd laid a the back because seat Because they kept down thinking it was like,
1: like a middle-aged white man in a box truck.
0: And they're like sotting out. I don't know if it was through the damn keyhole out of the trunk or what, but Jesus freaking Christ.
1: Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, you would go to a gas station and people would be like ducked down trying to pump gas running into grocery stores. People just were avoiding, like, going out at all.
0: That was a true um example of Dom- terrorizing an inter- entire region. Oh,
1: domestic terrorism, for sure.
0: I mean, that's the biggest, uh, about the the most uh memorable one that's happened in my lifetime, as far as the ongoing terror, because it didn't just, it's not like something blew up, and then people's like, oh, it blew up, and then they go find the guy, you know what I mean? Which, that, that's bad, but... The fact that it just for weeks and weeks was out there and people kept getting dropped. Random ass people.
1: Yeah, they're just it was crazy. But I thought I would share that with you guys. We got a lot of comments on this Facebook post about living next to a murderer. So, if you haven't checked it out, go over there. We have like 71 people who commented and they all have some Crazy story. I feel like we could do a. Or a serial killer or some famous case.
0: Whole bonus Patreon episode on uh, people's comments there. There's so many good ones.
1: Yeah, there definitely are. So, as we mentioned, we are going to get into one of the big cases today in this region, a heavy hitter, if you will, suggested by our friend Gary. And that is the story of Pee Wee Gaskins.
0: Pee Wee motherfucking Gaskins.
1: And this is a case that you're not super familiar with.
0: Yeah, I unfortunately have to admit to my true crime buddies out there that I am not. I just know of it. I know that he was particularly brutal and mean, you know, all that. But I don't know the damn details. The more I thought about it. So I started to just read up on it right quick, but I didn't. I'm going to learn about it with our friends out there, and they probably know more than I do.
1: Well, you touched on that he was very brutal and mean. And yeah, he kind of... I guess he wanted to dub himself as, like, the meanest man in America. Right. And so that was kind of his whole shtick, if you will. Little Um, man
0: syndrome, you reckon?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll get into all of that. But Pee-wee Gaskin, so a lot of our information comes from his book, Final Truth, which I guess would be an autobiography. And it was put out after he was executed. Okay. A lot of the details in the book can't really be disputed.
0: Because it's basically... Or there's himself. no,
1: like, follow-up with it. I'm going to say, we have Pee-wee's story. I'll give you information. Some of it comes from Pee-wee himself. But you might want to take s- some of the details with a grain of salt.
0: Oh, and you have to, especially when it's the words from the killer's mouth, not victims, not people that knew them. Because a lot of these guys, part of it's just in their personality, the narcissism and the grandioso. And uh, I think another part of it is they're going to be in jail the rest of their life. So they if they can paint themselves to be a, a little bit bigger legend, that makes their jail life a little easier. You know what I mean? Oh,
1: it definitely does. And then if you're already in prison, kind of famous, for crimes. More famous, you're gonna totally add right. details, you're gonna pump up the story, inflate it. You no got, you know, there's the whole ego as you touched on with the narcissism. So yeah, we're gonna take Pee-wee's story and just know that like some of it is true and then some of it could just be Right. A bunch of
0: bad shit happened.
1: So it could just be a great um, example of creative writing. (laughs) Well, Pee-wee Parrot, can you imagine the name Pee-wee Parrot? No. Was born March 13th, 1933 in Florence, South Carolina. You've been to Florence?
0: Yeah. I've been through there.
1: I have multiple times on the way to Myrtle Beach.
0: Myrtle Beach.
1: We're gonna get Myrtle Beach drunk. His mother had multiple illegitimate children, and Pee-wee was the youngest. His mother was a prostitute, and he was incredibly tiny for his age. Thus, you know, how he ended up with the, name, the nickname Pee-wee. Okay. Because he was a really small kid. Now, his mother's maiden name was Parrot. He was Pee-wee Parrot. And later, he would adopt the name Gaskins after a man he thought might be his father.
0: So he just basically started calling himself that.
1: Peewee Gaskins, yes. Because he didn't know who his real father was. And I suppose maybe his mother had thrown out a name or a couple of names, but it didn't seem that she necessarily knew.
0: Well, she'd be like, yeah, I was with 25 guys yesterday, but that Gaskin feller, I, I feel like it really went home. He really put it up in me, Peewee, so he oh, might be your daddy.
1: Well, so maybe she would have been a great candidate for the Maury show. Yeah. She could have tested, like, her
0: 40... 45th guy?
1: Yeah. And maybe they would have found the dad. I don't know. But it was alleged that he didn't even know his name. His real name was Donald until he had a court appearance. Like, his first court appearance. So he grew up for years and years thinking his name was Pee-wee. Didn't even know that his birth name, his Christian name, whatever you want to say, is, is uh, Donald.
0: Wow, so I'm I'm making jokes about it, but it sounds like he was born into a very hard, you know, life.
1: It did seem that it was a very unstable situation. I'm sure he was, Again, though. mom's got a lot of men in and out of the house. She's potentially working as a prostitute. I mean, it's been heavily rumored that she was a couple of kids, no baby daddies around, probably not a lot of financial support.
0: Or, yeah, just uh, daily care for the kids, you know?
1: Well, his young life was filled with neglect. At one point, Pee Wee reported that he drank some kerosene as a toddler and experienced some serious health problems as a result
0: well, yeah, of that. I'd say so.
1: But I'm not saying that accidents can't happen, but for your toddler to be drinking kerosene, I mean, that's a potential sign of neglect.
0: That's not good.
1: He was beaten and abused regularly at home by his mother and eventually a stepfather. His mother even sold her son to boyfriends and clients, sometimes for sexual abuse.
0: Oh yeah, so now it's getting down into the very bad, horrible things.
1: He was bullied at school and often in fights with the other kids. You know, he was a small guy, naturally kind of picked on for being the little, you know, peewee, little tiny guy.
0: Little tiny guy named Peewee, so you know he's going to catch hell.
1: And as a young kid, he joined a gang of neighborhood delinquents. They called themselves, I believe, the Trouble Trio. Oh, wow. And he began hanging out with these two brothers, Danny and Marsh. The kids would break into houses. They would steal whatever they could find and hawk it. So they were doing, like, just little juvenile delinquent kinds of bullshit.
0: Some little badass kids and no parents around.
1: Uh, Yeah, unsupervised kids. you got to consider this was... Probably the late thirties, end of the depression, early forties. They they ain't got no money.
0: Yeah, there's no money. There's no um,
1: supervision.
0: There's still, you know, hardly any. Um, I mean, I, I know I'm not going to get it completely right, but as far as programs and community things set up. You know what I mean? It's just, you're pretty much on your own.
1: There was no like big brothers, big sisters. No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: DSS probably didn't have a big footprint. Of they were garbage any fucking way.
1: <laughs> well, as I said, these kids would break into houses, steal whatever they could find. They would take money that they would get from the stolen items and have sex with prostitutes.
0: Oh. Damn. And
1: allegedly raped younger neighborhood boys. Okay. By 11 he had quit going to school altogether and was working at a local garage, like, doing mechanic work and cleaning up and just kind of learning the ropes, I guess, in the garage. Mechanical types of...
0: So it's the little badass field. kids wearing their little wool clothes and shit, looking like Fabian's Bunch, and just running around doing whatever they want, right?
1: At one point, the three kids gang-raped Marsha's little sister and were caught by the parents.
0: That's okay.
1: So as I mentioned, they hung out with a lot of kids at this, like, they had a little shack almost, I guess, where they would kind of frequent, like a clubhouse.
0: What was the, the American Women Hating Club or whatever, the he, Little Rascals? Yeah,
1: the, was it the Female Woman Hating Club or something? <laughs> or the He-Man Woman yeah. Hating Club, whatever that was called. Exactly. So I kind of imagined <clears throat> this little gang of kids, like the Little Rascals, but... Bad. Fucking horrible. So as I said, they were, like, raping some of the younger boys... Eventually, it got pared down or narrowed down to just, like, the three of these guys. Because, of course, the other kids are like, uh,
0: no. Y'all going a little too hard for me. I thought uh, we was going to throw some eggs. I don't want to be
1: part of this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not enjoying being sodomized.
0: And I don't want to rape people.
1: Maybe I don't want to. Yeah. Well, and allegedly they were, like, having sex with farm animals. Pee-wee says they were having sex with sheep
0: and okay, things so, as well. Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah. So, this is, like, a recipe for, like... This is a fu- going to be a fucked up kid. And or if he's making this shit up, then obviously he's fucked up to even like admit that this is the kind of thing they were doing.
0: Yeah, see, that's um beyond some little badass kids who had a hard life. I mean, you're getting into maybe one of those deals where some certain types of personalities get together and, you know, then they start doing worse and worse, trying to kind of impress each other. Right. Who's who's the most fucked up?
1: Well, when they raped Marsha's little sister, they were caught by the parents. The boys were beaten as punishment instead of getting, in th- uh, like, the authorities involved.
0: Oh, yeah, that's going to fix them. Well, at
1: the time, I mean, I guess law enforcement didn't have a heavy presence like it does today. Right. They knew that there would be a stigma around the event, oh, not okay. only for the daughter, the sons, but the family in general. I mean, there were just, I guess, a lot of reasons why, and not necessarily that they made sense or would make sense today, but...
0: Well, in that context... just
1: a different time.
0: Yeah, I kind of see part of that, you know, as far as not reporting it, because of, you know, like you said, small town, all that shit.
1: The parents supposedly hung the boys upside down and beat them. And beat them pretty severely. Like, until they were, you know, black and blue, bleeding, just like gave these kids a fucking beating of their life. At the age of 13, he hit his female cousin in the head with a hatchet after breaking into her house when her family had gone to a funeral. Okay. Because Pee-wee said that when he was burglarizing homes, the best way to do it, obviously, is when there's no one home. And that if he knew a family was going to something like a funeral, Funeral. church, a wedding, that they would be gone. So he would kind of comb like obituaries and see who had died and...
0: Oh, okay. Or if he knew
1: someone's family had died and they were going to a funeral, that's when was like a prime time to go break in a house.
0: Well, that's kind of smart from a criminal perspective.
1: It's been reported that she was his female cousin, but then other reports just describe her as a female, so I'm not 100% sure. But I'm assuming maybe she was a distant cousin because back in the day, people were not as mobile as they are today or nomadic, so you tend to be related to most everyone in your small town. Right. She survived the attack, and she knew, of course, who Pee-wee was, told the authorities that he had attacked her. He was sent to the South Carolina Industrial School for Boys.
0: That sounds like a fun place.
1: Yeah. The sentence said he'd be there until the age of 18. Now, we know, just reported from other serial killers, criminals, and just from that time period, that these industrial schools or these reform schools were a fucking nightmare. Uh, Pan, Manson, Panzram
0: sticks out. My, I really think he was already fucked up, but the monster he became was these places. Well, and, and it starts when they're little and young, and they go to first to go here.
1: Exactly, and like Charles Manson, yeah, he was kind of in and out of these schools. Yep. And they were just so horrific. I mean, Gaskins would later say he was raped by fellow inmates at the school daily. According to the book, The Final Truth, Pee-wee claims that there was an inmate there that he called Boss Poss. Okay. What a name. That claimed ownership of Pee-wee, meaning that he could rape him
0: oh, so he's as much
1: p- as he wants. Like, you're my lover. You're my property. He would trade him out for stuff like cigarettes to the other boys.
0: So there's no no supervision No oversight. They're just basically corralling these kids into one place and keeping them there and just, like, throw some porridge and fucking gruel in there. Just enough to keep them alive. And then they're just doing whatever they want.
1: And, like, working their asses off, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And these schools were just filled with rampant sexual abuse at the time. So, the story that Pee Wee tells is likely true.
0: Yeah. Oh, very likely.
1: Now, at some point, he escaped the school and ran away. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who wouldn't? He met up with Boss Boss' uncle. Now, Boss Boss is the kid who was, like, raping him on the reg.
0: Yeah, you think there's, like, some Stockholm Syndrome going on there?
1: Possibly. But he met up with the uncle who worked for a carnival and got Pee Wee a job as, like, a roustabout. Like, helping set up the tents and the rides and the games. I want to
0: be a roustabout. You do? You know, when I was in Shelby and the carnival would come, or the fair... They would literally come downtown and like gather up the winos and stuff, or whoever's just milling around and say you want to work for the day, and they would get them, that'd be their extra manpower to go set up rides and stuff.
1: Well, carnies, I mean, it just seems the stereotype of the carny is that they're kind of like the weird, misfit, freak, pedophile criminals. Is that true? I mean, that's the impression I get.
0: Well, uh, it seems like not that long ago there was a guy with a carnival, who was caught doing something. But I think it nowadays turned more into just the people who are restless spirits, kinda of like a rolling stone. But my mom would always freak out about us riding around. We wanna ride the rides. We get there, she wants to eat the fair food and we want to ride the rides, but she always would talk about, Oh, they have drunks and winos putting this stuff together and they literally did have them helping. So well, yeah. We still got to ride the shit and we didn't die. <laughs>
1: Well, weirdly enough, Pee Wee claims that he and the the boss had a decade-long friendship like after their time at reform school. Okay. And I guess the boss ended up dying kind of young, like in his 20s or something. All right. But they were buddies. So, hey, you brutalized me for years, made me your property, made me your bitch, but I'm going to be your buddy.
0: Well, you know, in it's that weird. environment, maybe if he may have also, like, offered him some form of protection along once he claimed ownership of it. You know what I mean? Instead, if you're in there with a bunch of monsters and out of control people, it's either your prey for all of them or you got just this one dude who's raping you every night. And, like, he just, like, I don't know.
1: Maybe there's, maybe there's some kind maybe of... Maybe there's even a little romance developing Oh, there. I'm saying, maybe he kind of
0: likes how he's bringing the rape train.
1: I don't know. I don't know. uh, The whole thing is just really hard to wrap your head around. He got married during this time to a 13-year-old girl who was the daughter of a carny. Okay. And now this is kind of going to set the stage for Pee Wee because it seems like throughout his life, he definitely has a fetish for young girls. Yeah. She wanted to have a normal life. And she didn't want to live the carnival life. I mean, she was 13. She was still very young. But, you know, she had grown up in a carny family.
0: Probably had her feel of that.
1: Always on the road, you know, living out of, like, one of those little trailers, camper types of uh, caravans. And she just didn't want to do that anymore, which is very understandable. So she encouraged him to go back to the South Carolina Boys School and complete his sentence. He returned to the school and eventually was released in 1951.
0: Oh, so he went back, turned himself in, trying to be honest, so he could have a clean name be out and live somewhere, right?
1: A psychiatrist who had evaluated him at the school described Pee Wee as very dangerous with homicidal tendencies and recommended that he not be released yet, but they let him out anyway. Okay. So this guy's like, Pee-wee's pretty fucked up. He doesn't need to be out in the world working this carny circuit. Now, when he was released from the reform school, he naturally had a hard time finding work because he didn't really have any skill set. Right. was a young man, but he spent his juvenile formative years at this boys' school. I'm assuming not a highly educated little feller. Right. So had a hard time getting work, but eventually gets hooked up with some sort of tobacco job, working okay. in tobacco fields, tobacco plantations.
0: Well, that'd be big back then.
1: So this was like around 1953 that he's working on a tobacco plantation, and there's a teenage girl there that makes him angry. I guess she either kind of turned down his advance, or you just said something kind of smart-ass to him.
0: She made fun of his little ass.
1: Yeah, so he tacked her with a hammer, because that's what you do.
0: Because he has homicidal tendencies, just like the doctor fucking said.
1: He was sentenced to six years in state prison. He's graduated from this boy's like reform school, basically, to state prison.
0: So he has uh, no impulse control, basically.
1: Seemingly not.
0: So he cleared his name up, trying to do the right thing and establish himself, and he just, you know, there's another six years in jail.
1: Well, while incarcerated at the state prison, he's going to find that being in a state prison is even worse than the boys' school. Yep. He was raped by inmates again. Now, he was 5'2". Some reports say that he may have been 5'4", but others say he was about 5'2", and likely weighed about 130 pounds.
0: Yeah, so he's just a little guy. He's
1: a little feller. So, at some point, he has this t- uh, this really tough inmate named Hazel Brazel.
0: That's an awesome tough inmate name. It is. I'm going to be Hazel Brazel the rest of the evening.
1: And I guess Hazel Brazel had repeatedly raped Pee-wee, was bullying him, brutalizing, you know, this guy's just a, he's a mean-ass motherfucker, to put it lightly. <laughs> so apparently Pee-wee devised this plan to kill Hazel. Now, if he gets rid of this guy, he is going to establish dominance, make a name for himself. I mean, he's kind of learned that he's going to have to do something very extreme right. to make an impression.
0: Yeah, you might come rape me, but I'm going to do my damnedest to kill you the next day.
1: And this reminds me of Charles Manson, because Manson was a little feller, and he was in prison. He immediately like had to learn how to manipulate people and establish some sort of dominance.
0: Right. You know, just, or-
1: it's a so. Really, I mean, it's almost sounds like it's out of survival or necessity. Right. More than it is just like I enjoy killing people.
0: Yeah, I could see Manson like talking people in protecting him and shit, feeling their And head he did. Full of That's kinda
1: how he was able to perfect that very manipulative personality and charisma is that he started learning the ropes when he was a young man in juvie and in prison. Hazel Brazzle is on the toilet. And somehow Pee-wee manages to get into this bathroom area where Hazel Brazel is, you know, doing what he's doing in the bathroom. Pee-wee stabs him, like, repeatedly. He earned the respect of the other inmates after this murder, but he was given an extra three years on top of his original sentence. That's all? Yeah. Damn.
0: Of course, Hazel was brutalizing him and raping him, so fuck him. Right, but still, just three years on thought down—that's crazy.
1: So then, of course, word spreads that Pee Wee's taken out like the big dog.
0: Oh, so he was just a—he was a badass. Period. Yeah. As far as the inmates go, like a pod boss kind of top. Yeah. Okay.
1: So he escaped from this sentence in 1955. He goes to Florida and takes another job as a carny. All right. His first wife, her name was Mary. She divorced him the same year. And part of his escape was that Mary had told him she wanted a divorce. He escaped, I guess, thinking he was going to be able to reconcile this marriage. But didn't quite work out. He goes to Florida and shortly after escaping, manages to marry a second wife. Now, the marriage only lasted about two weeks. He then gets involved with another woman named Betty Gates.
0: Two weeks?
1: Yeah. Now, what kills me about this is how many, like, awesome single guys I know out there, like, guy friends. Yeah. That are like, oh, I just can't even, like, no one wants to go out with me, whatever. And they're nice guys. They're established. Right. They own a home, have a good job. And then here's Pee Wee, this little motherfucker who's a delinquent, who's a criminal. The
0: bad boy. Piece
1: of shit. And these women are just flocking to him.
0: Well, I guess that 13-year-old uh, lucked out that he went to jail for six years and she got away from him that way. This is true. Yeah, so she kind of dodged a bullet there.
1: He gets involved with this woman named Betty Gates. She was a contortionist with the carnival, so she was like a sideshow performer. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't like that look on your face. No, I, well, I'm just I saying, know what you're thinking. Well,
0: I was just thinking that she's probably really good at cards, like poker.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Poker, get it? Poker, I barely knew her.
1: Damn it, Dylan. <laughs>
0: oh, bad jokes.
1: <laughs> well, the Paris steals a car... <laughs> And they go to Tennessee. Now she tells him this story about how her brother's in jail, and she wants to go bail him out of jail or bust him out of jail.
0: Right. Either little, way. Little escape artist here. We can do it, girl. Let's go.
1: Right. And at this point, Gaskins was pretty familiar with the process of stealing cars. That was something he'd been doing for a little bit. He would steal cars and you know sell off the parts, fence the cars, that kind of thing. He was pretty good at this. They take a car and they go to Tennessee. But here we get the joke on Gaskins, is that the brother was actually her husband. Oh sure. So shit. Betty Gates was married. She lied to Pee-Wee. He eventually finds himself in a predicament where Betty and her husband, after he's get you know, released from jail or they pay the bail or whatever, they they basically ditch Pee Wee at a hotel that they're staying in. He gets found out that he's an escaped convict, gets arrested on this Tennessee trip, and because he had stolen a car and taken it across state lines, he is sentenced to federal prison. Uh Uh-oh. Yep.
0: So they totally were setting him up, and they just, they played him like a fiddle. they did. And they knew they could dump him, and probably basically reported him as being an inmate or escaped inmate, and boom, he's gone.
1: He goes to federal prison, and he finds that federal prison is a little bit better than being in state prison.
0: A little less rapey?
1: And I guess, yeah, and I guess some people maybe there had heard of him from state prison because he had earned a bit of a reputation. His time in federal prison wasn't as harsh, or he claims it wasn't as harsh as being in state prison, and there were some, like, Mafia types there, like um, crime bosses and things. Okay. So he would brag in his book about how he kind of became friends with them, and they would give him tips on how to get away with stuff. Oh. But he's finding that federal prison's really not as bad as the boys' school or the state prison.
0: Well, that's what they say to this day.
1: Well, he eventually gets paroled in 1961. He continued his crime spree after being released, focusing, you know, mostly on the burglaries, and selling the stolen property, and also stealing cars.
0: So basically, I don't want to have a regular job. But then at the same time, he has a hard time getting a regular job, so he just automatically reverts back to what he knows to get by and get money in his pocket.
1: Well, during this time, he gets a job driving for a traveling preacher. Oh. And so they're kind of traveling all over the South North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida... Oh, yeah. ...Virginia. Just, like, making the rounds.
0: Tent revivals, I bet.
1: Exactly. While he is working for this preacher, you know, while, I guess, the preacher's out doing his sermons and hosting these revivals and things, Pee-wee gets an opportunity to scout out houses, you know, where he knows people are going to be at the revival. He's breaking in. He's stealing stuff. In 1962... He marries his third wife. Her name is Jerry Dolores. Now, oddly enough, though Pee-wee was a criminal, he was described as somewhat of a family man.
0: Okay, so he has a tender side.
1: He obviously knows how to romance the ladies. Yeah. Because, you know, he's got multiple wives at this point.
0: They might have nicknamed him Tripod in prison, too.
1: His children said that he was a good dad. Like, later they would be like, you know, we know he did these horrible things, but... He's my daddy. I love my daddy. Kiss your daddy. Kiss your daddy. And though he was married multiple times, none of his wives or his kids ever reported that there was any kind of violence or abuse targeted at them.
0: So uh, yeah, that happens. Uh, what Dennis Rader, famously uh, the the Ice Man, yeah, Kuklinski, um, he had a you know just normal family and everybody knew he was a stern kind of stoic man but um you know no reports so it's, it's interesting how these people can sometimes compartmentalize and they kind of have the family and they kind of even though they're psychopaths and all that well ted bundy ted bundy they kind of fake you know they can fake it to make it with them you they know? can
1: fake the normalcy yeah
0: and they, they always use the family or you know a relationship stable relationship as a cover
1: Definitely, and so Pee Wee was able to do that. Um, again, you know, wives, kids, none of them reported any kind of abuse from Pee Wee. And even though he obviously had multiple families, I guess it wasn't a problem for him to to pack up and leave a family and go make another family. Oh no! But he wasn't like cruel or mean, abusive to the kids. Again, 1962, he marries his third wife. He went to a neighbor's house while he was living. Um, in South Carolina, and rapes a 12-year-old neighbor girl. God. And gets arrested. And from what I could gather from the story, he had, like, sent his wife and mother out to do something, and while they're gone, just takes it upon himself to, like, go next door and rape the neighbor girl.
0: He'd already scoped her out and seen her. It
1: seems like that was the case. And like I said, he definitely has a thing for young girls. I mean, his first wife is 13, this is a 12 year old girl, some sexual deviance there. So,
0: what is he in his um, late 20s now?
1: Yeah, probably about that. Okay. Yeah, I'd say about 28, 29. Before the sentencing, he leaves South Carolina, goes to North Carolina. He stole a Ford Galaxy and ends up hiding out on the Lumbee Reservation.
0: Okay. Down so, down, towards down
1: east, yeah. So, yeah. down east, North Carolina. Makes me think about Eastern Barbecue. Mm him while he's there he takes a fourth wife and now i'm not sure if he's like divorcing the other women or if he's just a bigamist and just marrying yeah i'd
0: say back then nothing's connected together probably doesn't even freaking matter you know
1: his fourth wife was a woman named lenny oxendine eventually he gets really restless and decides to leave the fourth wife and at some point, she turns him in for the rape of the girl and for other crimes.
0: The rape of the twelve-year-old. Twelve, yeah, oh, I she, guess
1: he. Know, she knows the story that he's fled. Okay. South Carolina. He's wanted for rape.
0: Oh, I thought they got him there. So yeah, he took off after he raped that poor little girl.
1: Yeah. So he he was uh, arrested, but left before he was sentenced. Oh, okay. And so his fourth wife knows that he is like a fugitive or a wanted man. So she turns him in. I guess, when he decides to leave her and some other crimes he had committed. Naturally, Pee-wee ends up back in prison. How the fuck
0: are you with this guy and you know he raped little girls, man? I don't know. You know, maybe she didn't know the full extent of it. Maybe he lied. You know, maybe.
1: There was no background check back then. Right. So she couldn't just, like, log onto the internet and well, do a no, quick search so to realize, he said, like, he's a piece of shit.
0: I did this and this is what I'm running for, or he said it was something else that was not. Horrible sounding, because I just don't know how you could, I don't know how you could uh, fix that in your brain, you know?
1: Goes back to South Carolina State Prison. He serves time in prison and is released in 1968. Now, since he'd already been to that prison, was known for killing Hazel he you know, he had it fairly easy there. The warden even wrote a letter on his behalf, like recommending that he get an early release.
0: Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, I guess their reputation thing worked out for him, didn't it? He's
1: 35 years old. Well, I guess while he was there, people were taking it easy on him, the other inmates. So he wasn't being raped. He wasn't getting into fights. Yeah. So good behavior.
0: Well, I guess from their perspective, they have to look at it like that.
1: Yeah. So not getting the infractions, perhaps, he had gotten before. Right. So he's released. He's 35. He then moves to Sumter, South Carolina, where he started working for a roofing company, but was also... Back to stealing cars and stripping them, which was something, you know, he'd been doing since, you know, he was very young.
0: Right. Probably very good at it.
1: And when he was a kid, you know, he was working in a garage, so he knew exactly how to work on these vehicles, take them apart, strip them, where to go sell the parts, where to sell the cars, that kind of thing.
0: That was a lot more simple back then. I bet you could probably strip one down in the evening. No problem.
1: During this time, while he's living in Sumter, working for this roofing company... Pee-wee is going to call this period his Coastal Kills, because he separates his murders into different categories. This begins the period of Coastal Kills. Now, this is according to his book. None of the stories of the Coastal Kills are confirmed. This is where we might be telling you things that are not exactly fact, but are from the horse's mouth. Pee-wee is elaborating, giving details, telling about these stories.
0: Yeah, and I, st- I think either way it still has credence because either it's true and we're hearing the details of crime, which is why we're all here, or it's not true, but you get a peek into the mind of the person to kind of how they view themselves or want the world to view them. So it's interesting either way.
1: And Pee-wee was a bit bombastic, so we don't know for certain that these are factual stories or, again, if he was lying and just fabricating to you know, make himself seem bigger and badder and meaner right. than he maybe actually was. It was during this time of the coastal kills that he killed his first victim. And now, yes, he had murdered Hazel Brazel and he had assaulted other people, but this was like the first victim that he knowingly like I'm, sought I'm gonna out. This. Like I'm okay. going to kill somebody. First
0: person he basically kind hunted. Of,
1: yes. He would drive on the highway between Charleston and Wilmington, North Carolina. And he would first give, like, it kind of started, it was like a process. He would first start by giving, like, hitchhikers a ride. Then he would, and a lot of them were female, then he would offer them money for sex. Kind of amping it up a little bit. What do they say? Ask gas, or grass, nobody rides for free?
0: Yeah, that's what that bumper sticker says.
1: I used to have that bumper sticker. Now, when women would turn him down you know, these hitchhikers, they're just looking for a ride. Right. I mean, some of them, I guess, would take him up on the offer. Well, sure, yeah. Sure, I'll I take mean, your some, $10. Uh, yeah,
0: some, yeah, you never know.
1: But when they would turn him down, he would often just drop them off, get really pissed off, be mad. Then he started having these really violent fantasies about the hitchhikers. The threat of prison kept him from carrying out the murders, though, for a bit. It was in September 1969 that he took off to Myrtle Beach by himself. He picked up a hitchhiker, female. He offered her money for sex. Then she turned him down. That's when he decided he was going to kill her. He pulled off onto this dirt road. He beat her until she was unconscious, took off his belt. He ties her hands behind her back. He claims he then raped and sodomized her. He tortured the girl. Now, this is where things get graphic. And normally we don't do a trigger warning or a warning, but this is a pretty gruesome story. So just to let you know, if you don't like the gory details, you might want to fast forward.
0: Fast forward 45 seconds.
1: Right. So we'll give you a second. He tortures this girl by slicing off her nipple, then made her eat it.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: He claims he stabbed her with an 11-inch blade in her vagina. Oh. She didn't die. He had some sort of pulley that he used, I guess, when he was stealing cars and lifting out car parts and things that he ha- happened to have in his truck. He lowers her into the swamp using this pulley. And after drowning her, he claims he drove to a restaurant and ordered a big steak.
0: A big, he's hungry. A now. big
1: celebratory right. steak dinner. I have questions about this. Okay. Did Is he have it, an extra change of clothes in the vehicle? Is he covered in blood?
0: Well, he's heading to Myrtle Beach,
1: so maybe he does have. So a maybe bag. he has
0: a, a bag of clothes, and um, even if that's fantasy, pure fantasy, right there. It's so
1: a pretty messed it's up. It's pretty
0: fucking sick. Yeah. Just to even want to or think about doing that to a woman. Or well, a he person. would
1: later talk about the murder in his book and say he felt like he could do anything he wanted to this girl.
0: Yeah, well, that's those feelings, those. He's finally been restless all those years and being on the losing end of violence and things like that. He feels like a god now. You know, he feels like, he, yeah, he can do anything.
1: And because she was a hitchhiker, there was no connection between the two of them. Right. Like no one could put them together. So he felt like he was going to get away with the murder. And that's what green lighted.
0: Because the only thing holding him back kill. was more time in prison.
1: Right. He just didn't want to go back to jail, but he's thinking, "I'm going to get away with this." Now, over the years, he would confess to killing at least a hitchhiker every six weeks off of Highway 17 near towns like PD. Okay. And you've heard of the PD River in South Carolina, probably. Oh yeah, it's a big place. But he says he murdered between 80 and 90 people, both men and women, somewhere in that ballpark. He stabbed, suffocated, mutilated, and even said he cannibalized some of the victims.
0: That's a lot of victims along the same highway. I don't know, Pee Wee. I mean, even back then, at a certain point, they're like, Hey, that's a nice body we found on Highway 17 or whatever. Of course, you know, they didn't even think like that. You know, really, because has pointed out to all of us on Netflix there that, um, they didn't even think like that. They could find multiple bodies in an area, and they never thought it's the same person. You know, they right? Or perhaps
1: a... if they're not even finding the bodies at all.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, now, if he's
1: lowering them into lakes, you got to figure if, that is a swampy area. It's true. Ocean. If
0: he is getting good at hiding the bodies and weighting them down and putting them in good places. Then that that leads a little more, uh, leads me to believe maybe it's happening then.
1: Right. So I'm going to call this the question mark period. Uh,
0: Yeah, okay. But
1: Gaskin said the process of rape, torture, and murder was a satisfying feeling that alleviated his bothersome feelings that Uh, he had experienced his whole life. Okay. In the book, he talks about these urges and desires and these fantasies that he would get these bothersome feelings. Okay, it's like, that's like that's a nice euphemism.
0: Just bothersome, bother, just
1: bothersome feelings bothers me. I'm thinking about cutting a woman's head off. My knees are bothering. Stab a
0: woman in her vagina with a twelve-inch blade.
1: That is bothersome. Now, by the way, he would talk about his urges as those bothersome feelings, as we just mentioned, but he did state he really enjoyed torturing his victims, often keeping them alive for days at a time. He would run chains through their bodies. Now, again, this is Pee Wee's. Elaborate details. So when he's saying chains through their bodies, I'm thinking like a human centipede type of thing, perhaps. He would fill their orifices with lead. Jesus. He would throw acid on them. He would cannibalize their body parts and either make them watch him eat the body parts. Or sometimes, for fun, he would make them join in and eat their own body parts.
0: So this motherfucker got acid, molten lead in his damn murder kit? Damn, Pee-wee.
1: He said he would experiment with different ways to torture and kill these people, and if the murders were too quick, he wouldn't use that method again. Ah. If he, you know, was trying some new torture method and it just, they they quickly died, he didn't like that. He wanted to torture them for days.
0: That's fucked up. He
1: wanted to prolong the torture.
0: As much as possible.
1: But there were not reports of, as you mentioned, the missing hitchhikers and things along Highway 17 so we can't really know if this is true i mean i'm thinking this is like a vacation this is a coastal town you know you're around the like myrtle beach area this is a vacation spot even back then question mark
0: like i said even if it's he didn't really do it it's some fucked up fantasies it is so
1: or you know maybe he may have done some of these murders but maybe it was more like a handful five of times. or right. eight or even 12 right over a period then Pee-wee describes his next phase that he calls his serious murders.
0: Oh, so I was just playing with the <laughs> multiple-day Well, torture. here's how he
1: breaks it down. Coastal Kills were strangers. They were like the hitchhikers, people not known to him. Okay. They were just random. Okay. He just saw the, these people, not as people, but like, they're just pieces Play of meat that him. I can torture and have fun with. Right. Now, the serious murders were people he knew well or that he at least knew. These were acquaintances, maybe friends. Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit more personal to him. In November 1970, he murdered his niece. Now, this is fucking crazy. Her name was Janice Kirby, and she was 15. She had a friend named Patricia Alsbrook, who was 17. Janice, his niece was drunk at some kind of burger restaurant where like young people would hang out. Okay. You know, it makes me think of like the
0: sock hop I mean, yeah, or the yeah, like wait, the drive-in. Like
1: a, yeah. You know, probably had curb service. Yeah, type car of place.
0: cultures took all the way off.
1: Yeah, American graffiti type of situation yep. where this is like a place where young people are hanging out.
0: And she's down there drunk.
1: And here's Pee Wee trolling the young hangout because again he likes the young girls.
0: Well, and and, and also he's a pervert. He's a little tiny guy, so in, in a way that works in his favor because you know, I'm sure at times he's caught these his victims off guard because they think you know they're more comfortable. I mean, like if a, a six foot nine, 300 pound guy muscle comes in a room, Ed
1: Kemper, yeah, Ed, <laughs>
0: Ed Kemper, you know, a guy, even guys and women are intimidated just by their presence, right? Because you think if this person flipped out, there's nobody in here strong enough to you know stop him from doing fucked up shit. But um, with him, his little ass, you know, and then next thing you know, he's fucking all over you, like a damn little fiery little spider, spider monkey who wants to fucking put chains through your body and, yeah. Make you
1: eat your own nipple? Little
0: torture monkey.
1: <laughs> right. He's trolling this burger restaurant looking for some middle schoolers when he sees his niece and her friend. She's drunk, she's being obnoxious. The friend is like, you know, hey, can you help? This is, you know, this is Uncle Pee-wee. Hey, can we help her out? She's drunk. We need a ride. That kind of thing. Yeah. Not, Not expecting anything...
0: Third as drunk bitch out.
1: ...out of the blue is going to happen. Pee-wee takes them to an abandoned house. He pulls a knife on them. Okay, so he's trying, I guess, to sexually assault these girls and attack them. Well, Patricia ends up hitting him with a two-by-four that she finds laying around. Now, the girls run out of the house... He gets a gun, I guess starts kind of shooting, ends up kind of intimidating or scaring them into coming back into the house.
0: Oh, God.
1: He tried to sexually assault them both. That wasn't working out. He leaves his niece at the shack and he takes Patricia in the trunk of his car to another, like, old house. He lowered her down into a septic tank after bludgeoning her. When he got back to the house, his niece was dead from the injuries that she had sustained because he had been beating her. He'd been beating both these girls. So she's dead. Well, he takes her outside, buries her somewhere. Um, He told police that the girls ran away to California because, you know, people saw the girls with Pee Wee the night that they went missing. Right. So naturally, the police come questioning him. Hey, where's your niece? Pee Wee's able to play it off like, well, they ran away to California. And I guess at this time, nobody really asked any questions about and people it. people
0: really did leave for the West Coast and never seen again. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, that really So happened. they assumed
1: the girls had just taken off. No charges were ever filed. Oh, my God. In, in the case, they just believed that the girls had taken off somewhere. Okay. At the end of his life, Pee Wee would say that killing his niece was one of two murders he regretted. During this time a senator's daughter went missing and was murdered. A guy was arrested on the murder. The later Pee Wee would say that he killed the girl, but it was never proven. Okay. This is turning out to be a pretty large case. We're gonna be doing a two parter.
0: This is our first So one. this is the first
1: part, and we'll get back into the murder of this senator's daughter in our second.
0: I think that's part a decent place to Leave it there, don't you think?
1: Yes. We're going to come back with part two, but this has been part one of the Pee-wee Gaskin story.
0: Yeah, and I've learned he's a fucked up little dude. He's a
1: fucking freak.
0: I know why Gary is all over this, like, you gotta do it. You gotta talk about Pee-wee. And he was right. He's fucked up. Right. And this is a good case.
1: We'll be back with part two very soon. Yes. Keep your eyes peeled.
0: Keep your eyes peeled.